Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 19 of the Goal Line Podcast. So today's special guest is David Goldstein. So David and I first met back in 2015 when we were playing on the Maccabi USA soccer team together and, um, you know, lost out of contact for a little bit. And then oddly enough, saw him at the coaches convention in January. And then, you know, here we are a couple months later. So David, welcome. It's great to great to be back with you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm really glad that worked out. Um, I probably should have done a better job of keeping in touch with uh, players and, and coaches from that tournament. But um, obviously, we we had a nice center back goalkeeper partnership <laughs> in Chile. And I'm glad that we could reconnect and stay in touch uh, since the coaching convention. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um you know, you, you have an interesting background. So, oh, so, so sorry, everyone. David is currently the GM of the Atlantic City Aces, the, the MP on the MPSL side. So um, interesting background together before we start. So um, you had a great playing career throughout high school, and then um, you decided to go to Princeton and you became a student coach. So, you know, what was that situation like being, uh, being amongst your peers, but in, a, in an elevated role? If that makes sense. It was an interesting one. Um, that's a good question. So I wanted to play in college as I grew up. Um, that wasn't the plan. And I w- had a bunch of concussions that ruled that possibility out. And so I got to Princeton, um, not thinking I'd be a part of the team, but I went to the games because I just wanted to be around the sport at the highest level and, and support my school and support some of the guys I knew on the team. And decided to send a complete shot in the dark email to the head coach of the varsity soccer team, Jim Barlow, uh, saying, hey, you have no idea who I am, but here's my resume. I'll do whatever I can to you know, help your staff and help your team make your life easier. Um, be great to connect. And that turned into an interview. And that interview turned into working on the staff for two and a half years as an assistant coach. So um on one hand, you know, definitely happy that I put myself out there with that message. And I had done a coaching license at that point and, you know, had studied up on the team and knew my stuff. But at the same time, I'm always very grateful to Jim Barlow, Steve Totten, Ryan Hayward, uh, and Tom Moffitt at uh, Princeton for, you know, giving giving a student a chance. But to to the crux of your question, it was really interesting. I would go from studying with the guy studying with guys or you know asking them for help on homework assignments or sitting in lecture with them um i'd like to think that they were asking me for help more often than i was asking them (laughs) um it definitely you know worked both ways and we'd go down to the locker room and they would put their stuff on i'd quickly change into my coaching gear um which really was just a polo. And I wore the same uh, Princeton orange hat every single day for practicing <laughs> games. It's almost, almost as if I were Clark Kent becoming Superman. Not that I'm Superman, but more of just like in a different mode. Um, right. When I had that hat on, I was their coach. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you're an elite athlete and you're driven to get better, if you'll, you, you'll take advice from someone who clearly knows what they're talking about and in their own way is working as hard as anyone else on the team. And that's what I tried to do. My, my first objective was if I can make everyone's life easier, then I'm a value. 
And then maybe there are some guys on the team who aren't getting as much attention from the rest of the coaching staff that I can work with individually. They start buying into what I have to say and it spreads. So, um, yeah, I mean, these, these guys are my best friends. Uh, I stay in touch with them even still, um, but it was a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, so so how did you prove to them that you knew what you were talking about? Because I think it's easy for guys at that level to say, like, you know, this guy, this kid doesn't even play, you know, he doesn't even play college soccer, so what does he know, especially being, you know, their age? So how did you prove to them that you didn't know what you were talking about? For sure. Um, you know, I, as I briefly mentioned, like, the first thing I did was – when they, when they gave me a chance, well, actually the first thing that happened was I went to the coach. I went in for my interview. I thought I was maybe interviewing to be the water boy and the coaching staff said, Oh, so you want to be a coach one day? And I said, yeah, um, definitely, you know, a very interesting option for me. And so the next question they asked, which took me, you know, very much off guard was, so if we had a starting 11 for our team next year, what would it be? And why thinking that, they would stump me. They'd get their kicks out of bringing this kid in for an interview. And then I would, you know, not be able to answer well and they'd move on with their lives. But I was able to go position by position and say, well, this player is graduating. I know that this younger guy um, in this out of conference game got more minutes than he usually does and showed potential. If he puts on some puts on some weight and maybe works on his ability with his, you know, with his weaker foot or left foot or however, whatever the PC way of talking about your non-dominant foot is these days, whatever I said at the time um, was enough to show like, wait, he, this like David saw this kid, Harry play like maybe the 45 out of his 60 minutes, the entire season. And is thinking what we're thinking that he could make the jump for this senior who's graduating. So it started with them. Um, it started with the coaching staff and getting into that in-depth conversation. Um, and with, but like you were saying, it's all down to the players. And I think the biggest, the, the route that I took was there are guys who might be on the end of the bench or are young and are just getting into college soccer who aren't getting as much attention. And look, they might, they want time. They want to be competitive. You know, they're willing to at least try advice. And, and so I started with the guys I knew personally best. And would say, hey, try this next time in this situation, or at least think about X, Y, Z because of this, you know, always trying to give a reason for what I'm telling them. And then they'd try it and it'd work in the right situation. And they'd go, huh, that I, there might be, you know, reason to listen to this guy. <laughs> and when the guys that I was working with more often started to play better and earn more time, be more competitive in practice. And people were kind of like, what changed? They're saying like, honestly, like a, a big part of it is Goldstein's not telling me anything crazy, but pointing things out here and there, like I would definitely listen to him if he get, if he gave you a shout. Um, and it was balancing. It, it started from that and, and you build a more personal report from guys there were some guys who were never going to listen to a student coach. Um, right. That's just the fact of it. But at least with those guys, I was going to make their life easier and work hard. And with the guys who are open to it, um, we just continue to work and just prove it day in, day out. Like you do as a player is what I was trying to do as a coach. Makes sense. No, I mean, I think I think you did develop the right approach to just going for the younger guys who probably aren't getting as much attention as the starters and, you know, 
even if it's just like one little point like you mentioned, nothing crazy, but it, it can make a difference, especially as we know in the game, you know, those, those little details is really all that we're looking for. So what were some of your day-to-day responsibilities as a student coach over two and a half years? Were you ever running sessions or was it always kind of just like the little things that needed to be done? Uh, so I ran exercises on my own, most training sessions. Some of it was if guys were split into groups, like into different grids, I'd take one of the one of the grids or one of the exercises. So often just with a third of the team who'd be rotating under supervision of other coaches. Um, sometimes it was working with a group of guys where they'd say, look, we're going to work. The head coach would say, look, I'm going to work with the attackers. Like you can like, feel free to figure out what you want to do with the defenders, getting guys extra work, extra reps, working on technique before, after practice, or when they were off to the side during um, 11s. And then I did run my own session uh, one time, which was my last session as a Princeton soccer coach, which was very nice of them to let me do. Um, But I was a coach. I had a vote on lineups. I wasn't censored when during the games I was on the bench communicating with guys, suggesting subs. Um, You know, obviously there was a learning curve and I, you know, picked and and chose my moments, but um, by the end of it, um, you know, I was an assistant coach, another one of the guys. um, And, you know, on one hand, I earned it. Uh, I worked hard for it and, you know, was able to be honest with myself about how I needed to get better as a coach each and every day. Um, and on the other hand, I was lucky to be with a team that gave me a shot and would listen to me. For sure. So after that two and a half years, or even like maybe, you know, six months into the, the job, is that when you decided that, you know, soccer or that coaching rather was a career path for you? Or were you like, yeah, I want to go a different route and see where that takes me? So I, the, the difference in how fulfilled I was at Princeton or just in general was drastic between not being involved with coaching and then being involved with the Princeton team coaching day in, day out. Um, I need, I know I needed to be involved in the world of soccer, trying to push to make the biggest impact I can. What I realized is that I very much enjoy coaching and short of being a player, there's nothing better than being a coach on game day with your guys in the locker room, making on the fly decisions to try to win a game. But what I realized as my uh, time at Princeton ended and I was trying to think about what I wanted to do full time, my thoughts became, well, I always I know I know I de- coaching is definitely an option. I've had a good experience. Um, it worked well. But the day-to-day work of being a coach um, and what that entails, I liked for sure, but I wanted to see if there was anything in a related sphere that I loved and take a year or two after college to see if there were other options um, that met those criteria. And... um, before I just jumped into coaching saying, I did this, I like it. Um, I'm just going to run with it. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I did because, you know, I'm always still trying to learn and like I'm getting coaching licenses even still, but um, I think I'm doing uh, the stuff now that um, 
suits me best and um, just excites me uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So, so what were those things that you were trying to figure out once you graduated from Princeton and finished that? Cause I think at that point, that's when we kind of stopped talking for a little bit, you know, just how everything happens where you just lose contact with people. So, you know, in between the time to where you are now and that time after Princeton, um, what path did that take you on? Well, the first domino was that I was a philosophy major who didn't want to be a philosopher. So <laughs> I definitely needed to re- reorient myself in terms of what I was going to do after school. One thing that really stood out to me from my coaching experience was I had noticed that we had really good wingbacks. We played a 3-5-2. We had really good wingbacks. One of them went on to play professionally. Um, two massive strikers. And you would think that given that combination, we would be scoring on crosses all the time. And we were super inefficient on them. And obviously, there are a lot of, you're trying to diagnose. There are always many different things that you can improve on a team. But this stuck out to me. And I had mentioned it to the coaching staff a couple of times and we hadn't really done much to correct it. And so I went through all of the film uh, of our season so far is about halfway through, looked at every single cross, created this big spreadsheet of the type of cross, who crossed it, where people were open, what type of ball was played in, what was effective and what was not. And threw down a statistical report on the desk of the head coach and said, look, I'll shut up about crosses. Like I know you, I know I talk about it all the time, but it's because I care. And I think I can, I think it matters. Read through this report. If I will not talk about crosses again, but if you read it and are convinced, I'm happy to go over it with you further. The next day at practice, he said, we're working on crosses today. Goldstein's going to tell you why, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in the world of statistics, you don't want to rely too much on a small sample size but the next game we played, we did score on two crosses. So that felt pretty good. Um, yeah. But that it just made me realize that um, really trying to drive insights, uh, going through video and statistics and trying to drive insights that are otherwise not as obvious, um, that just was a really exciting thing to me. Um, and it's, I've expanded that beyond crossing, of course. But um, that that challenge remains. Um, I still want to help teams win games. I still want to help build clubs and and be a leader within a you know within a professional environment or semi professional environment right now, which I'm happy to be a part of, um, and be you know do things the right way. But that kind of question of how can I find out what other people don't see and then communicate that effectively both to analysts and GMs and coaches and be the bridge between those different pieces that, that had me sold. And so uh, to, I then kind of just focus more on sports management in general to learn the industry and data science to back up my interest with technical skills and um that's kind of led me to where I am now. So what other interesting stats did you find when you went through it? Um, so on that particular project, it was we, and I think, I, I mean, I, 
I think this is, and I'm not the only person to say this because there are big time European coaches or international coaches who have said similar things, but I think that this idea of crossing that we have in the United States is too narrow. Like we don't view a good cross as an easy pullback to a trailing runner. Maybe that's changing a bit more in today's youth development. Hopefully that's the case. But like, at least when I was growing up, a good cross was just whipping it in. Just Mm -hmm. if all that mattered was the pace, the height, and honestly, just kind of how it looked in the air. And we kept doing those kinds of crosses on the Princeton team and no, no one's heads would meet them. And so what's the point? Over and over again, it'd be a driven cross or a whipped in cross. And the few and the few times that we did get dangerous were floating it to the back post when everyone came near post or pulling it back or doing something else creative. There are times where, you know, a whipped in cross, usually when you're further outside the box, you can an earlier cross that's whipped in, you can play it behind the back line, get ahead on it um, as an end product. And score, but when everyone's set defensively and you're just drilling it in, I mean, I almost can't even fault the guys who are doing it on our team because that's what I was taught too. But it just didn't make sense. Um, so that was kind of the main thing is um, just figuring. Like at the end of the day, there are so many uh, sayings in soccer that are just taken to be truths, and the question is like what what's real and what's not, um, and that's combining a tactical understanding with video analysis with data analysis to get a full picture. Absolutely. So how, how did you end up as general manager of a semi-professional club, you know, so young? Yeah. So like, was it one of those that you were just in the right position, right place, right time, or, you know, what was it? Literally that, uh, the owner of the club, uh, Drew Algus, uh, he's one of the two co-owners. Um, he, was looking for players. He didn't have a GM at the time, went to the Princeton soccer roster, was scrolling through players and then saw a young face in the coaching staff section. He was like, who's this kid? And then when he asked the players he was recruiting about me, like, or he said, you know, Hey, what do you think about David Goldstein? So I was on the coaching staff. They spoke highly of me, I guess. Um, or at least that's what he communicated. And so he reached out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I had a phone call with him. And we spoke for like an hour, hour and a half on all things soccer, tactics, business, the state of U.S. soccer, youth development. And after an hour and a half, I said, Drew, I love this conversation, but what do you want from me? And he goes, (laughs) oh, I want you to be my GM. And I said, uh, sign me up. I mean, I definitely – it wasn't – I mean, I wanted to do my due diligence and and person, but I, you know – express my initial interest. And uh, they said, look, you're, you're going to have control. Um, we have faith in you. Um, it's, you know, NPSL is a really interesting space. Um, we think there's opportunity to grow our club and your career going forward. But in the meantime, just get your hands dirty and help us run a team and help us win games. And um, it was a perfect situation for me because my full-time job is data analysis on the business side of sports right now. Um, so I was kind of furthering those skills, but definitely missing having soccer as part of my life day in, day out. And now 
the two complements each other very well. So, uh, yes, I am a GM of Atlantic City FC um, and proud to be uh, in that position. Absolutely. So when you accepted the job, when did you start again? In September. The, September, okay. With, with AC, with ACFC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. September. September, okay. So what was your first order of business as new GM in September? Huh. Uh, start watching a ton of college soccer. Um, <laughs> because in MPSL, there are different ways of doing it. But the way that we had our club structured is that we were going to be mo- primarily made up of kids, uh, young men who were playing college soccer, and then their offseason would play for us over the summer. Right. That was our model. I mean, we're a very young club. The club only existed for two years before I joined. So uh, we definitely want to be a club for the community going forward. Um, but in the short term, we want to generate buzz and have a competitive team. So it was a ton of scouting, a ton of video, uh, reaching out to people uh, any way I could, um, and just giving them a pitch about how we're a club that does things the right way, that we're going to take care of you, um, like the way you play, think this is how we want to play. Um, and yeah, I went from not having soccer in my life to uh, – at least temporarily to calling guys who were playing in the college cup final, seeing if they want to play for my team uh, a few months down the road. But yeah, it was um, after that, after I signed up, it's like, okay, our season starts in May. Um, and then we ended up getting into open cup. So our season starts in March. Um, you have this amount of time to build a good soccer team. Go. That's what it came down to. Yeah. It's so interesting. So when do you, have you started to, because you're such a young team and a new team, have you tried to instill like a new culture in there kind of, or, or set a culture for one that hasn't been set already? I'm really lucky in that the ownership is really in line with my thinking, which from a organizational standpoint is doing things the right way. You can win a lot of games and do things the right way. And the way you make that work, that's doing right by your players, your coaches, your staff, yourself as a GM. The way you do that is just being willing to work harder and smarter. There are shortcuts out there. Um, but I think that our ownership was completely on board with how and we're not the only NPSL club to do this by any stretch, but how adamant I was in making sure that everyone's eligibility was intact no ifs, ands, or buts going, you know, in terms of, you know, making sure that guys and we, we were building good rapports with the guys that we were recruiting, good rapports with their coaches. We, they knew we were trustworthy and going through all the hoops to make sure that their guys were taken care of. Um, so that was kind of the first macro level thing that I really uh, wanted to instill. And that goes beyond eligibility. It goes to all different aspects of our club but the ownership was already on board with that from a playing standpoint um i definitely had my my vision for what would be effective especially given a shortened season you can only do so much tactically um Mm -hmm. and so um i had conversations with our coach chris o'leary who lives in wales and played for swansea and has been a part of their organization for a long time 
and had an idea of what he wanted, uh, lined up very much with what I was looking for, um, which is um, I, I personally thought that trying to bi- take a bunch of college guys as talented as they are from all around the country and have them playing perfectly synchronized uh, soccer with tailored movements and I don't know, trying to play the beautiful game at all set, you know, at all times, we, we didn't have that luxury. So what was a style that we could understand quickly, still playing exciting soccer at a high intellectual level, but still keep our plan pretty simple, simple and aggressive, I would say are the two biggest things that were standing out to me. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I was any different than what anyone else was thinking, but, um, you know, it was in, when I came to the club, it was already kind of there in the background, but it's been more outwardly advertised since I've been there. For sure. So what has been some of the challenges that you, that you faced so far in your short, less than a year in your short time span as GM? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> besides, well, besides this COVID-19 period. Yeah. COVID-19 would be the obvious one. Yeah. Um, so one thing would be, and it, it was, it, it, I mean, it, the reality is it was a challenge, but it was a nice one to have. We were invited to open cup, um, mm-hmm. kind of on the later side and because U S soccer, I believe or U S yeah. U S soccer changed the rule that, whatever it was for the first time college players weren't going to be able to play the first two rounds of open cup. No, I had no matter what I think about whether the rule, what the rule change was, if it was good or not, it was what it was. And it just mean I meant I had to do extra work, but the result is I had to build two separate teams, one for open cup and one for NPSL. And then, pray that when those two seasons uh, merged into one, that the team would still be cohesive. Um, So that was a bit of a curveball when I just about finished my MPSL roster and then was told do it all over again. Um, You get into really interesting conversations. I mean, you're talking to guys with lots of offers, big ambitions. Um, Guys have been promised certain things by certain clubs. And sometimes you just, have to say okay like that that you want something different than what we offer um but also some of those conversations are hard when you think you found a real talent um and someone who's a really good fit and you have five six seven eight phone conversations of just answering their questions and the answer is still no um obviously it's part of the job but um it it gets me. It gets me for sure. I think as it would get any GM. Um, yeah. So, you know, what, what is that, that recruiting process like for you? You know, why should a college kid come play for you guys instead of, you know, one of the other MPSL teams, maybe closer to them or, or what, what have you, but you know, why Atlantic city? Yeah. So I think other, other than great sorry, town. said other than the great town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, part of it is we want to leverage that it's a great town. Um, we're not, we're not shy to say it. I mean, it's, you could spend your summer in a worse place than on the beach. Um, good point. What we really think what, how we pitch ourselves is that we really think we offer 
exceptional value to our guys, both on and off the field. Um, we want guys to have a great summer all the way around. Um, we have an awesome sponsorship from the Tropicana uh, Hotel on um, on the boardwalk where we can put guy, you know, we put guys up. Um, so they're living right alongside the beach. They have a 24 seven fitness center available to them, pools available to them. Um, so their living conditions are really great and that's worth traveling for. Um, I've been, I was helping all our guys before the virus, um, uh, gauge their interest in different, like, in different internships and part-time jobs. Um, obviously they need to go through the interview process like anyone else, but in terms of just putting things on their radar and being a resource for them, um, a lot of guys were interested in that. And, you know, I wanted to make sure I went out of my way to make that happen, uh, in terms of having those options available. Um, and, um, also making sure that they're, you know, that we're promoting, we're promoting them via social media when they're playing for our team, obviously all within the bounds of NCAA regulations. We're not paying anyone, but I think um, to live on the beach with as much support as you have at a hotel, all on, you know, with under the care of someone who cares about the players and checking in on them. um, It's, it's a pretty good proposition. And then on the field, Uh, In our second year, we made the playoffs. We have serious ambitions. We thought we could have challenged for the MPSL championship this year. Um, We have a UEFA pro licensed coach. Um, We have a good background. Um, We have good relationships with the college coaches that we know. And we think that, you know, no one's promised playing time. Um, Everyone has the opportunity. We had a ton of really interesting friendly set up too for more uh, exposure and um, growth opportunities for players that they could have found elsewhere. So really it's just continuing to push and go above and beyond um, both on and off the field. At the end of the day, um, we got to win games and we were, you know, I think we were in a good position to do so, but I think it would have been, I think most of the, if not all the guys who joined us this summer would have had a positive experience no matter what their playing situation was, um, that's what we were really going for. Yeah. So is your goal to kind of get these guys to the, like another level, like after they're done with you, you know, do you want them to um, succeed at a new level, maybe like the USL or what have you, but, or do you want them, you know, just kind of coming back to you guys um, to continue building your program? Uh, We want our guys to go on and do great things. Um, We want our guys to go play pro. Um, We want our guys to go abroad. We want, um, we want everyone who's a part of our club to move closer to reaching their potential because they're with our club. And then to, you know, to be able to express that in public, Um, we're not, you know, I, you know, another thing is too, is yes, continuity certainly helps when you're also, you know, trying to go for results. Um, Because, you know, to my prior statement, we want everyone to have a great summer, regardless of playing time or other factors, but we want to do that while competing for a national championship. We want to raise a trophy. That's, that's goal number one. Um, It's goal number one. We want to run our club the right way and win trophies. Um, And we think those things go hand in hand, but 
um, in terms of like keeping guys around. Um, I, you know, we're in the, we're under the understanding we're trying to build the club um, and we want to win trophies, but at the same time, we're not going to be able to recruit guys if they think that they're going to be held hostage by Atlantic city FC for the next couple of years of their career for whatever reason. It's just not a good recruiting pitch. Yeah. Um, no, hundred percent. I mean, gotta, I think you should always, yeah. You, you just got to recognize Go the position that you're in the, the niche spot that we're in um, and not try to make it into something it isn't. Um, but we, yeah, we want our guys to come in, play for us for a season or two, go on and make the U S national team. That's, that's hmm. the idea. Absolutely. So what, what are some of your goals now moving? Like, I mean, personally and just club wise moving forward in the next two to three years. I, I should also recant. I'm happy for any of our players to make any national team. It's not us. National <laughs> right. Um, uh, what am I looking forward to in the next couple of years? Um, yeah, like, I mean, what do you hope to achieve? You know, maybe, you know, I, I know you guys want to win, obviously, but, you know, maybe personally, you know, what are what are some of the things that you want to see yourself grow in as a GM? Yeah, um, for the club, I want to make U.S. Open Cup every year. Um, that's a massive task for an MPSL club, but that's we're ambitious. Um, mm-hmm. I want to start growing our academy uh, with the long-term goal of having um, – a free to play Academy. Um, that's going to take some time, but that's our, that's a real goal of ours. Um, for me personally, as a GM, um, I'd like to see some games. <laughs> um, yeah. now, for me, it's continuing to be honest with myself about where I can improve. I would love to, I want to leverage my, uh, you know, my current role as a GM to speak to other GMs and just be a sponge. I don't pretend to know mm-hmm. everything. I'm confident in myself. Um, I think that I've done a good job with Atlantic City since I got since I got the position. But I'm always someone who is looking internally to see how I can get better, um, and also looking outside of myself to continue, uh, you know, learning from the people who are doing it at higher levels, who, who are doing what I want to do down the road in my career. Um, I think that, um, I want to, um, I mean, those are probably the first two things that come top of mind. I, I'm sure I'm missing a thousand that. Yeah. Have you, have you been able to talk to any other GMs? Sorry. Have you been able to talk to any other GMs of MPSL clubs or USL two clubs, whatever it may be just to, to learn a little bit more information? Yes. So I had a a good number of conversations at the coaches convention where we met back up. Um, Mm -hmm. I also had a lot of meetings uh, on the books with um, GMs in the area that unfortunately COVID uh, did not make happen. Um, I was really excited to speak with Elise LaHue from Sky Blue FC, um, and I'm sure we'll connect um, in the near future. Um, yeah, there have been GMs, um, just people generally in the soccer world, coaches. Um, you know, one of the best things that I did was I went to Berlin last summer before I got the GM job, but I went to Berlin to get my uh, first UEFA license and. You know, right now as a GM, I'm not the, the age group I was focused on. There was 
uh, like seven to 12, 13 year olds. Um, and that's not what I'm coaching or GMing right now, but I think right. just continuing, continuing to expand my mind and learn more and talk to coaches and see different point of views. Um, I think regardless of what level I'm at, I need to keep that hunger. Um, and so, you know, it's even though I'm not a coach at the moment, one, you know, there are times where I'll have to fill in. We're an NPSL club, you know, things happen. And sometimes, you know, I might need to coach, coach some. I definitely have the opinion that GMs need to give coaches leeway to do their thing, but it'll be in the mm-hmm. sometimes. But I think more than that, just continuing to learn and be a student of the game and someone who loves the game, like talking to coaches, reading articles, taking seminars in person or over the internet just constantly you know intensively getting better um and that includes coaches and gms so what's been like one of the one or two biggest things that you've taken away from all your conversations with these other gms and your owner you're even just learning on your own what has been your biggest takeaway so far um you're definitely gonna hear the word no a lot um, <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, there, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in what other people are doing and it's, it's just not, it's not productive. Um, but I also sometimes struggle with that, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, sure, it's it's nice that I have the responsibility I have with an MPSL club, but this person's doing this at another club, or this person is, you know, in a in a job with a club that I had applied to, I don't know, two or three years ago. Like, why does that still get under my skin? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> right. I've gotten better at it, but you have to realize you're going to hear the word no a lot. Um, and all you need is a yes in the right situation and who cares about the rest of it. Now I say that now um, it's much easier to listen to that advice right now than, you know, prior times. Right. Uh, That's honestly the biggest thing, whether it's from players, from coaches, from owners, um, you're going to be told no, and it's on to the next. Um, Absolutely. It's learn something from that experience and on to the next. Um, in terms of player recruitment and like GMing, um, don't talk to someone unless you've watched their tape or have some, some, like there are guys who are just kind of like known to be good or whatever you hear through the grapevine. And even if you don't have access to video, cause it's not always available, like have something like do, do your research, do your background research. Mm-hmm know what year they're going into if they're in college, know what they're studying going into a call, or at least be interested in it. If you don't, even if you don't remember, express genuine interest in who they are as a person. And if someone at, like there were times where I'd speak to a defender and there aren't a ton of like flashy clips, but I would say, look, I know you're on one of the top 10 defenses and goals allowed per game in the country I figure that's got to add up to you playing well. I'm sorry I don't have tape on you, but like that obviously speaks well to you and I want to get you on the phone. Just do your background research. Um, don't don't cut corners um, and be genuinely invested in your players. Um, 
it's they can, it can make it hard because you start getting excited about a guy being on your team. And then to the first lesson, you hear the word no. But, um, you know, you want to do right by your guys. And um, that's how you, you know, that's how you keep yourself, you know, held accountable and, and compete with the rest of the league that's trying to find talent as well. Yeah, so I know I agree with all of those points. I mean, it's great points. And obviously you're doing your due diligence and I know, you know, you're, you're working hard to get the best team in the MPSL. So, uh, you know, last question that I like to ask all my guests as we wrap up is when you move on to become general manager of a, of an MLS club and so forth, what do you want the players that you recruited, the people that, you know, the owners that hired you, those people to say about you as you move on? Um, that, I treated everyone in the organization as an equal um, in terms of, you know, giving everyone respect that I um, ethically did everything by the book and at the same time, never let that be an excuse for not getting results. Um, That's kind of what I hang my hat on is if, you do think if you do things the right way, it might be inconvenient, but if you work hard enough, you can do things the right way and have just as much success as anyone else. And so um, having respect for everyone, um, doing things the right way. And the last thing is um, seeing that I have a real passion uh, for this sport. I love it. I had it taken away from me uh, as a player from injuries Um and I'm dedicating my life to it and I want to make it a, a large scale impact on the sport in a positive manner. And so day in, day out that I'm excited to be in the building, that I'm excited to be working with my colleagues and that, you know, I want my love for the game to shine through. Love it. Love it. Well, Dave, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, you know, hopefully that there is some type of season this summer. If not, best of luck to you um, in your journey as general manager. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. We'll get you. We'll get you some gear. We'll get you all all decked out. We'll get you up in a. Oh, I love it. Hotel room. Go to go to a game. Uh, hit the beach. Um, <laughs> do the rest of the Atlantic City stuff. I'll take it easy. But hundred um, percent. Definitely want to definitely count you as a fan now of ACFC, but thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.